Have you been searching for a word from the Lord? You want to feel his presence. You want to feel his love. Well, look no further, cause no matter who you are, you're all welcome here at Rising and stand and before we read our text uh, the task force told me to tell you move closer to the center as additional people come in they can just seat them on the edge there so if you got a couple of books or purse or something between you and somebody else uh, we just ask that you move closer to the center if you don't mind okay and the other thing uh, I got a message that sister Gaston uh, brother-in-law passed away so uh, be in prayer for the Gaston family during their time of bereavement. And also, we want to recognize our first lady who received an award yesterday. Amen. From the Women's Progressive Club. Amen. Amen. And I want to thank those of you who made an extra effort to come out and support her on yesterday. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Amen. Amen. All right. So now that you're standing, let's go ahead and read our text for today. Reading from Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter, verses 25 through 35 from the NIV. Let's read. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Wouldn't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's a pretty rough text, isn't it? <laughs> Ooh. I want to talk about count the costs. Count the costs. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, have you counted the costs? 
All right, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. God, we come thanking you for this day. We come thanking you for every day. God, we thank you, God, for what our eyes have seen, what our hearts have felt, oh dear God, and what our ears have heard. God, we thank you that you have blessed us and enabled us, oh dear God, to make it safely through another week, oh dear God. And God, we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for all the many blessings that you continue to shower down upon us, oh dear God. But Lord, not just the material thing, God, but we thank you for the spiritual blessings, oh dear God, that we are saved, oh dear God, that our names have been written down in the Lamb's book of life. And we know that you got a blessing in store for us. And God, we want to be a blessing to you, oh dear God. We want you to use us as your vessels and as your instruments, oh dear God, for the upbuilding of your kingdom and for your glory, God. Now, Lord, if we come to the preach hour, I pray that you let your man sermon down deep into the storehouse of your wisdom, your knowledge, and your power. Enable me, oh dear God, that I might be able to bring a word to these, your people. God, I pray that I would decrease. I pray that you would increase. Speak in me and through me, oh dear God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and redeemer. And God, we'll be careful to give your name all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. For this we pray in the marvelous, matchless, but just the name of Jesus, our Messiah, and all the people of God said, Amen. Amen, amen. God in three persons. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Count the cost. Amen. Jesus did not pull any punches. He did not sugarcoat it at all. Jesus told people straight up, right from the beginning, if you're going to be my disciple, that's a price you must pay. Not for your salvation, amen, but for your sanctification. If you're going to follow me in discipleship, there is a price that you have to pay. Count the cost. And I believe a lot of people, they get emotionally moved when they go to church. They see the bells, the whistles, they see the PowerPoint, they see the parking lot, they see the nice cushion seats and all the other stuff and the robes and all the other stuff, people up front doing stuff, and they just enamored with all that. They're excited about all that. They walk down the aisle, they give their life to Christ, and all of a sudden they run into some problems, some issues, some troubles, and then they want to throw in the towel. So the question is, did you count the cost of following Jesus Christ? For you, is Christianity a cross or a cushion? When you think about Christianity, especially in the Western Hemisphere and in the United States and, and Europe, when we think about Christianity, do you see a picture of a cross or do you see a cushion? That God has called you to a life of comfort, amen, and convenience. Because a lot of people think that once you become a Christian, amen, my commitment to Christ, I'll be committed to Christ, and i do what he wants me to do as long as it's comfortable for me, and as long as it's convenient for me. But don't make me uncomfortable, come on somebody, and interfere with my life and my plans and my agenda, because at the end of the day, you're not really living for God, you're living for yourself, Come on, somebody. But Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to crucify self and take self off the throne and put me on the throne. And I'm the boss and I call the shots. You don't make any decision without consulting me first. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thy own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he said he'll direct our paths, okay? We got to know that we have been bought with a price, that we are no longer our own, that we belong to God. Our body, our soul, our mind, our spirit, everything that we have belongs to God, amen? He is the boss. We are just the steward of the things that he has given us, our time, our talents, amen, our treasure. Those things belong to us, amen, and we got to give an account for our stewardship at some point. So do you serve Christianity or serve Christ out of comfort and convenience, or are you really committed to the cause? Regardless of what you got to go through, regardless of what people say, regardless of what people do, come hell or high water, I'm standing for Christ, I'm living for Christ, and I'm going to testify for Christ, and when I die, I'm going to go and be with Christ. Is Christianity for you a cross or a cushion? If you are operating, if we're operating a heavenly franchise on earth, which is the church, then our business should be soul business, winning lost souls to Christ. And that's what the church should be all about. The church is not a bank where we bring all the resources in and see how much money we can save. No, we bring money and we bring resources in so we can do kingdom business so that we can win lost souls, so we can build up the kingdom of God. We're not trying to run a Christian country club to make Christians comfortable. Amen. So, so we're supposed to be trying to win the loss, but when you have a Christian country club mentality, you think that membership has its perks and privileges, and you always want to critique everything. And, and, and a lot of people, especially in the Western Hemisphere when it comes to Christianity, we got this mentality that the consumer is always right, not so in the church. Now, the only thing that's right in the church is the Bible, and everybody else must fall under the authority of the Word of God. So, believe me, it's never about you, boo. So, we serve Christ out of commitment to become a worldwide witness based on Acts 1 and 8 and Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Listen to me. We must do the following things, and I teach this in our 401 class, okay? Material that we got from Rick Warren's church, Saddleback Church, I teach this. Now, in order for us to become a worldwide witness and win the world for Christ and be a local church with a global reach, this is what we must do. Number one, we must shift our thinking from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And see, and that's the problem in most of our churches. We are not God-centered. We are self-centered. And we're tuned to W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? That's number one. Number two, we must shift our thinking from local to global. In other words, it's just not enough for you to have resources and do things so that Rise and Star might be a thriving church in the Tucson community. No, we don't stop with the Tucson community. The task of the church, the commission of the church is to reach the whole world for God until every person is saved. We should be reaching out trying to get people into the kingdom of God before Christ comes again and shut down the dispensation of grace. So we must become a local church with a global reach. So we got to shift our thinking from local to global. The next thing we got to do is shift our thinking from temporary values to eternal values. The Bible said we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are eternal. And we got to make decisions not only as individual, but as a church based on eternity. What's the impact of this decision in eternity? Because it's possible for you to live a very comfortable life down here, be very successful, and still be a failure in the eyes of God. Watch this. What are you doing today that has eternal value? Making an eternal impact. 
It's not enough to count your days. You got to make your days count. What are you sending ahead of you? What are you doing that's going to have an impact in eternity? Don't store up all your treasure down here. Jesus, lay up treasures in heaven where thieves and robbers cannot get to it, nor moths or rust. Come on, somebody. He said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, and I can't take it with me, baby, but I can send it ahead of me. Okay, here's the next one. We got to shift our thinking from security to service. From security to service. Which means that you're going to have to do some stuff that's going to make you uncomfortable. But it's not about being secure. It's about service. And then the last one is we must shift our thinking from comfort to sacrifice. And that's where sacrifice today is a dirty word. <laughs> Come on. Nobody wants to make no sacrifices. That's why I say that if you look at the church today, not just rise, but the body of Christ as a whole, especially in the Western Hemisphere, in Europe and the United States and right on down the line. And if you notice that in Canada and Europe and the United States and right on down the line, Christianity is dying in every one of these countries. Why? Because Christians are looking for comfort and convenience. But we must shift our thinking from comfort to sacrifice. Proverbs 11.30 says this, the fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous life is a tree of life. The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a life or a tree of life. And he who is wise captures human lives for God as a fisher of men. He gathers and receives them for eternity. That's from the Amplified Bible. Let me read that again. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life. What's that? Uncompromisingly. And he who is wise captures human lives for God. As a fisher of men, he gathers and receives them for eternity. As we come to our text, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath and he makes some people upset. But let, let me just, since we've got the picture up there now, let me just talk about this for a minute. Talking about count the cost. Something happened when I was a young man. That was, uh, you know, where I live, they had the white neighborhood, and then you know, they had sidewalks, and then you get to the black neighborhood, which was a different color road, and no sidewalks. <laughs> okay. When you come to Pinkett, I'll show you. Okay. Now watch this. So anyway, up the street from where I live was a guy by the name of Jackie Snail. Okay, the Snail family, they own a lot of land and stuff, and different people work for them on the farms and things of this nature. Jackie Snail was an outstanding baseball player. This boy had a fastball like 100 miles an hour, and he was so good that he was recruited by the Boston Red Sox, okay, to play ball. I think Red Sox, White Sox, one of them Sox. Anyway, <laughs> listen, and he, he turned down the opportunity to play professional baseball to do missionary work. That blew my mind. That's the first time in my life I had ever heard of anybody making such a decision and such a sacrifice. What he had done, he had counted the cost. 
and realize the best thing that I can do with my life is invest my life into eternity by reaching lost souls for Christ because my calling is more important than my career. My calling is more important than the cash that I can make. And that's when you know you're committed and you have counted the cost when you can say no to a promotion. But how many Christians we see chasing after money, chasing after careers, and stepping away from their calling? Did you count the cost? That's the question. As we come to our text, Jesus heals on the Sabbath and made all the religious people mad. Verses 1 through 6. Then Jesus teaches about humility, verses 7 through 14. And then he talks about the kingdom of God in verses 15 through 24. Now he began to talk to the people about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus tells people up front what to expect. Again, he's not sugarcoating it. First of all, he talks about the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. The first thing he tells them, your family must be secondary. Your family must be secondary. Now stick with me on this. First thing I want you to see in verse 25, it said, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, I just want to stop with the crowds because most churches will put on all kinds of shows, dogs and pony shows, a lot of glit and glamour trying to attract people because they try to measure the success as a church by the size of the congregation. Just because you got a lot of people in your church does not mean your church is spiritual and that your church is godly, that you're doing what God has called you to do. Because if you look around, you see a whole lot of people at basketball games, football games, baseball games, and even at the circus, but it doesn't mean God is there. Are you with me? But Jesus, watch this. Unlike us, Jesus was not impressed with crowds. The multitudes, listen to me, were attracted by Jesus' miracles because he had those fish sandwiches. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Y'all remember the 5,000 he fed? <laughs> With five barley loaves and two fish, he had them fish sandwiches. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and they expected him to establish an earthly kingdom. Interested in quality, Jesus, more than quantity, he defined the cost of discipleship. In other words, Jesus said, I want followers and not fans. Let me tell you what fans do. They can be for a team, and right in the middle of a game, their team started to lose. They will start booing their own people, throwing stuff at them, and even walk out before the game is over. That's a fan and not a follower. And we got a lot of people who are fans. As long as the church is doing good, we got people showing up, the money is good, the preaching is good, the singing is good. Yeah, rise out my church. But when the stuff hits the fan, can we count on you? Okay. But they were more interested in what they could get rather than what they can give. And you got a lot of people like that. They come to church. They're not looking for a church where they can get involved and serve and help make a difference, they're looking at, what can this church do for me? Mm. And it's okay to, you know, get some benefits, but you should come with a mindset to give, and as you give, come on somebody, then you'll get. Christ's aim was not to gather appreciative crowds, but to make true disciples. He never, listen, this is going to really blow your mind, he never adapted his message to the majority preferences but always plainly declare the high cost of discipleship. 
Here he made several bold demands that would discourage half-hearted people. Jesus said, I don't want no lukewarm, sissies, punks following me. I want some bold, committed, showing up real people following me. That's, that's what he's saying. And, 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 and what we have done, if you listen to a lot of the preaching, especially on TV and stuff, what we do, we have watered down the message so much that people can't even recognize Christ in the message. Because, watch it, we're trying to appeal to everybody and make sure that we don't offend nobody. Baby, if you preach the gospel, you're going to offend somebody. Come on, somebody. If you're not living right, you're living in sin, you're going to be offended when the gospel is preached. And you're supposed to get offended if you're not living right so that you can repent and get yourself together. And when you make people come in their sins, you make them comfortable on their way to hell, and God said the blood is going to be on your hand. When you stand before me, you're going to have to give an account because you did not tell them the truth. You are more concerned about a crowd than being committed to me and the calling I put on your life. So, so if you're going to serve in ministry, you have to make up your mind right away, am I going to please God or people? You can't do both at the same time. All right, moving right along. All right, so he said now, the crowd, now let's talk about the cost. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and children, his brother and sister, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now let's read Matthew 10, 37 and 38 for clarification. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Hate is used as a vivid hyperbole, meaning that one must love Jesus more than one's immediate family. Jesus said that you must love me more than you love your own mama. Isn't that radical? Jesus said, you got to love me more than your own mama who gave you birth. You got to love me more than your own father, your sister, your brother, your son, your daughter. He said, I got to be number one. Can't nobody take my place. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your sister, not your brother, not your son, not your daughter. I got to be number one. Watch this. Because I created your mama. I created your daddy. I created your brother. I created your sister. I created your son. I created your daughter. I paid the cost to be the boss. I'm over everybody. I'm bigger than everybody. I own everything. So I got to have first allegiance. And watch this. Going to mess some of y'all up. This is why I would never compromise the gospel just because somebody in my family living contrary to the word of God. I have seen people after people change their theology because they got family members living in sin. So you don't want them to feel bad and still feel totally accepted by the family. You have changed your theology to take stuff that's sinful and abomination and accept it. We have rewritten the gospel trying to keep people happy and accommodate them. But God said, I created everything everything and because I created everything I own everything that you have no right to change my word to accommodate somebody else so you have to make sure who you're going to live for God or for people and then here's another one because I've seen this happen I have seen men 
as well as women, a lot of women, who come to church faithfully, serving God, shouting on Sunday, singing in the choir, come to Bible study, and all of a sudden you find a man. Oh, yeah, I'm going there. All of a sudden, we can't find you. You shacking up somewhere. Come on, somebody. You're so glad you got a boo. Come on. You're so glad you got some biceps and triceps. You ain't studying Jesus. You ain't studying the church. You ain't studying nobody because you finally got somebody. You put them ahead of God. You put them ahead of the church. You put them ahead of your ministry. And God said, I'm not pleased with that. And it's not going to work because if any man really loves you, he won't take you away from God. He won't take you away from your ministry. He won't take you away from the church. And anybody who tempts you to sin, to go contrary to the word of God, they have not been sent to you by God. They have been sent to you by the devil to try you down, to turn you down, to shut you down, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your ministry. And you got to stand and say, for God I live and for God I die. If you can't get with God, you ain't got no business with me. I love Jesus and he comes first. We come as a package deal. If you don't want my Jesus, you can't have me either. Here's, a, here's another, here's another gem for you. Don't be fooled by folks talking about they love you. Those who sin with you are sin against you. I said those who sin with you are sin against you. Samson thought Delilah loved him. He sinned with her, then she turned around and sinned against him. Got all his hair cut off. That's what happens when you get a haircut in the wrong barber shop. Uh, so, the point that Jesus deserved priority over every other relationship, that's the point. God deserves priority over every relationship. If you must choose between Jesus and a family member, then Jesus needs to win. Because he created everything, he owns everything, including your family. And he's the source of all your blessings. Which simply means if you got a wife and she won't act right and she wants to leave... Hit the road, Jill. Not Jack, Jill. <laughs> Come on, watch this. Because the same God that gave you the first wife, he can give you a second wife. Come on, somebody. The same God that gave you a child, come on, he can give you another child. He'll give you a child in somebody else's family to act better than your own child. Come on, somebody. Same thing about jobs, amen? God can give you another job. You got to remember that God is the source of all your blessings and not ever compromise your faith trying to please somebody else for some dollar, some recognition or title and stuff. God is the source of everything. If I want to be blessed, I want God to bless me because God won't change on me. He's the father of lights. No variableness or shadowness. He won't change on you. You know how people do. Do something for you and then they want to hold you obligated. You know I did X, Y, and Z for you. Well, God did A through Z. I'm blessed because of God, not you. You just a channel. Amen. And when you start tripping, God will find somebody else to use. Amen. It's different between a source and a resource. Come on, somebody. You're a resource, but God is the source. I'm going to make sure he's number one. He's happy. Amen. All right, so here we go. So we see the crowds, the calls, got to hurry up. Your faith must be primary. And not only, watch this, not only you got to love family members less than Jesus, this going to blow your mind too. He said, you got to love yourself less than me. 
you know, and we got all this pumped up motivational psychology that we hear all the time about you the captain of your own fate and, and you can do this and you can do that and you all that in a bag of chips with some hot sauce on the side and all this kind of stuff and Jesus said no baby no boo it's not about you it's all about me and I tell you I keep telling you you can't be too small for God to use but you can't be too big the more full you are of yourself the less God can use you because you keep getting in the way your faith must be primary, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I didn't say this. Jesus said, if you're not going to take up your cross, make me top priority and follow me. He said, you cannot, not may not, cannot be my disciple. You can be religious, but he said, you won't be my disciple. The expression, bear the cross, help us here. The expression, when Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me, Jesus saying, you got to die to self. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. So what, I, I know this is going to blow your mind. When you come to Christ, the Bible said we, are, we have been buried with him. Okay, Christ is in us now. Which means that once you come to Christ, you no longer have a life. I know that's radical. But once you come to Christ, you no longer have a life. Your life not belongs to God. That's why the Bible says you have been bought with a price. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, giving your body, and then giving you my mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so you can prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. God said, I want your body, and I want your mind. I want your life. I want to live my life in you and through you. You no longer call the shot. You're just my vessel and my instrument for me to use. And it's amazing how we make decisions and never consult God. God said, I'm the owner. And that's why we find ourselves in bad marriages, bad ministries, bad jobs, bad relationships, bad health, no peace, because we didn't put him first. So the cross means death, put to death. Even before his passion, before he died on the cross, his disciples would understand the requirement that they must be willing to suffer martyrdom if necessary. Be thy faith for what? Unto death. And I give you the crown of life. And when Paul came to the end of his life, Paul said what? I fought a good fight. I kept the faith and I finished my course. He said that before Nero chopped his head off. That's, that's what Paul got for following Jesus. Well, over half of the New Testament, a scholar, theologian, interpreted the Christian message more than anybody else. In the history of Christianity, but he died for his faith. His head was chopped off. Crucified life. Count the cost. Why well, I know this is making a lot of folks uncomfortable. But Jesus put told them to put it all on the line. Then we see the comparison of discipleship. The comparison. First of all, the unfinished building. I don't know if y'all can see that, but that's when we were building this building. Okay? First of all, you got the research stage. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? In other words, before Jesus said, before you sign up and say, you want to be my disciple? He said, you better do your homework. 
he said, you need to make sure that you're making an intelligent, willful, thoughtful decision and know what you're getting into. It's just kind of like marriage. You need to know what you're getting into. It's like ministry. You need to know what you're getting into. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Do your homework. It's called a research stage. And then the next stage, if you don't finish, you follow into what we call the ridicule stage. For if he lays the foundation, is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, the fellow began to build and was not able to finish. And I told you guys, Easter Sunday, that we have embarked on a building project. God told me, after pastoring the church for five years, he said, this church is too small, you're going to have to buy some land, and you're going to have to build a bigger building. And I told you guys, the struggles we went through, we stayed on that corner for 20 years. Okay, 34 West, 34th Street. And people kept asking, when we going to build? When we going to build? Listen, we went through three different architects. We bought two separate pieces of land, okay? 5864 South Stewart Avenue over there by Sunnyside High School. We bought two acres over there. Didn't build there. Some of y'all remember the story, okay? And we went through a series of different architects. The city would never approve the plans. We were trying to build that building over there at that particular location. They told me the plans, we had spent over $30,000, and the plan was uh, like 90% done. They never got approved. So all of a sudden, I told the church, I said, you know what? God is trying to tell us he doesn't want us to build a church there. In fact, somebody from the neighborhood called me and said, Pastor Lewis, I know y'all bought this land over here. She said, but this place is cursed. You don't want to build no church over here. And so we end up selling that land, and we end up buying this land. And I told them that God has, and I was going through the book of Exodus, and we were preaching about Goshen, and Joseph told his family to come down. I want you guys to stay in the land of Goshen. I said to the congregation, God has a Goshen for us. That land is not our Goshen. That land is too small. God has a bigger piece of property for us, and that's going to be our Goshen. Watch this. Bishop High, who was in charge of Gethsemane Church of God in Christ, he was trying to sell this land to us because a millionaire owned this land, but he filed bankruptcy. He gave it to them, but they didn't pay the assessment on the land, so the land went to a private investor in California. So we got Gail Dean to represent our case and all that. Long story short, they wanted $250,000 for the land. We got the land for $180,000. But here's the thing that blows your mind. We had a church council meeting, and we had the church council meeting there. That's when I used to bring the, just the church council meeting, then have a leadership meeting and things of that nature. Then people felt like we were having a secret meeting, so all the leaders wanted to come. So then I opened up to all the leaders, and then all the leaders didn't want to come. But anyway, <laughs> but back to the leaders. <laughs> people are trip. Anyway, <laughs> you just can't pick, make people happy. But anyway, here's the thing that blew my mind. So we, we, we get in this land, right? And it was tied up in litigation at that time. Bishop High came to Rise and Star on a Saturday, and we just had a leadership meeting. Listen to a take by Rick Warren. Bishop High said, Pastor Lewis, I just stopped by to tell you today that you're going to get that land, that God wants you guys to build a church over there on that land. Here's the thing. I went home that night, and I was sleeping, and I was tossing and turning in the bed. And I told Z, I said, I can't sleep. I said, Bishop High is on my mind, and the land is on my mind. And I told him he had stopped by the church. Well, the next day, we went to the chapel because the praise dance was on to praise dance and do some stuff at the chapel because they had a program. I get to the chapel. A gentleman that I worked with came up to me and said, you heard what happened to Bishop High? I said, no, what happened? He said, around about 2 or 3 o'clock this morning, he went to glory. 
I told Z, I said, that's why I couldn't sleep, because on his way to glory, he stopped by and woke me up to let me know everything's going to be all right. Does anybody know God? Does anybody know that God is real? Does anybody know that God can finish whatever he starts? God is a supernatural God. God's doing stuff that you don't know nothing about. Stop looking at your bank account and put the limit on God. Stop looking at your education and put the limit on God. Stop looking at people and put a limit on God. God is working when you are asleep. God is working. God is figuring things out because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. And God said, if it's my vision, I'll take care of the provision. Stop putting limits on me. I'm a big God. I'm an awesome God. I'm a mighty God. I'm a powerful God. Now I can stand here all day telling you stories of how God done supernatural things here. Let's move on. I'll save them for another sermon. All right. So the research stage, ridicule stage, and then we see the unsuccessful war. Bring your personnel together. Take inventory of the army. Talk to your advisors. Then you see if you got enough to go against the enemy. Hey, if you can't beat them, join them. So the personnel, bring the next one up. Peace treaty. Verse 32. Like I said, if you can't beat them, join them. Come on, somebody. Amen. Uh, let me just put this in everyday terms for you. How many know if you can't beat them, you join them or you leave them alone? If you think you can beat them, cross that line if you bad. Watch this. If they're bigger than you and you don't think you can beat them, what you going to say? I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to walk away this time. Okay, <laughs> let, let me make it even more real for you. How many of you know that what Chris Rock said really rubbed Will Smith the wrong way? And he went up on the stage and he slapped Chris Rock. But how many of you know that The Rock could have said the same thing? You think he would have done the same thing that The Rock that he did to Chris Rock? We know which rock to slap, don't we? Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Just trying to help y'all relate to the point here. So if you can't beat them, join them. Amen. If you don't have enough men to win the war, amen, you make peace. Here's the point. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. Okay? Again, count the cost. If you're going to build something, count the cost. If you're going to go to war, count the cost. How many know that the Christian life is warfare? That's why I said, stop fighting people. You, you're dealing with spirits. And you got to know how to pray and fast and deal with spirits and look beyond people and look beyond circumstances and stuff and, and war in the spirit. Somebody's well, how you war in the spirit? You war in the spirit by reading the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. You war in the spirit by living holy, keeping on the breathway of righteousness. How you war in the spirit? You war in the spirit by singing worship songs and, and praise songs. You set the atmosphere because the devil cannot stand for you to have praise and worship. He was kicked out of heaven because he was in charge of praise and worship. He cannot stand praise and worship. So if you want to get the devil out of your house, you start playing some praise and worship music and the devil get out of your house. You start walking through the house, quoting the word of God. The devil has to get out of your house. You walk through your house and you start praying this kingdom down and the devil has to get out of your house. You got to learn how to war in the spirit. You got to learn how to fast. You got to learn how to pray. You got to learn how to praise. You got to 
learn how to worship. You got to mean business with the devil. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenges. First of all, live for the master. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, it's powerless and it's useless because it can't be made salty again. It's not good for anything. It's not good for the soil nor manure. That's in the text. That's pretty bad. <laughs> when you're not even good for manure. Come on. Come on. Come on. I mean, that's what the Bible says. There are some Christians, you're not even fit. It's in the text. It's in the text. I'm going to leave it right there and we're moving on. All right. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. All right. Now watch this. So live for the master and then I'm done. Here's the other one. Listen to the master or learn from the master. Okay, now why you got that picture up there, Pastor Lewis? Because I got a point I got, I got to make. Okay, now watch this. Here's the thing I want to share with you. I mean, some people told me that Pastor Lewis, uh, Pastor Ebony Cotton, who preached last week, we don't even remember her being at Rising Star. And she was at Rising Star. She went to the U of A. She had a sister named Erica. She went to the U of A. And at that particular time, they were all going to First Institutional Baptist Church, and I met them through the convention and all that. But anyway, long story short, when they got to Tucson, Arizona, Dr. Stewart had recommend that they would come to Rising Star. They came to Rising Star, and eventually she accepted her call into the ministry. She went to a ministry training class with us and all of that. Here's the thing. When we were talking to her after the service, because I don't have to tell you that the, that, that the woman preached. I don't even have to tell you that. <laughs> And not just preach, she's anointed, she's powerful, and she's humble, and she's sweet. And I told her, I said, you stay humble, and you stay sweet, and you stay anointed. And I said, the sky is the limit for your ministry, because you're going to go places. You got the right kind of attitude with the right kind of anointing. Now, Donna was in the uh, room with us. I don't know if Trevon was in the room at that time, and Sister Lewis and myself. This, this is what Ebony said while she was in the room. Because I told her, I said, we got about 25 associate ministers here. She said that, Pastor Lewis, when I was here, and y'all talk, you remember how she said she used to follow Doretta and the different preachers trying to learn from her? She said that when I was here, she said, I would sit back in the church, and she said, and I will listen to you. And she said, I was storing everything you were saying. I was taking it to heart. And she said, if I had to give one piece of advice to the associate ministers here at Rising Star, it would be this one word, Listen. What's this? But here's the problem. Most people don't listen because you think you got more sense than everybody else. I'm anointed. I know more. <laughs> Come on, somebody. See, watch this. A lot of people cannot receive perfect mentorship because the vessel is imperfect. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. I said some people cannot receive mentorship because you're so busy looking at the flaws of the person and the shortcomings of the person. You miss the jewel in the person and how God can bless your life if you stop putting people on a microscope while looking at yourself on the telescope. <laughs> That's why I said one message make one person pow and make another person shout. One message make one person glad and make another person mad. Has nothing to do with the message. Has something to do with you. Okay, now, I'm almost done. Now, here's the thing that blew my mind. And then she said, Pastor Lewis, I have a whole big notebook. Remember we have to, used to have sermon notes? Some of y'all remember when we used to have sermon notes? 
She said, I have a whole big notebook of your sermon notes. She went in and pulled out this sermon note copy here. Dated 2007, she had the answers filled out and notes on the side. I said, if I die today, I can be happy because there's somebody came through Rising Star while I was there 35 years and somebody got it. The light came on. I know at least one person got it and she's going to be something awesome. She's going to be something special. And I'm glad I had a chance to invest a little bit into her life. But you got to learn how to listen and learn. And then you can grow. All right, now, bring up the next slide. We're going home in a minute. Was this my second closing or the first one? All right. <laughs> All right. All right, how the apostles die. Look at the chart. Look at the chart. How the apostles die. We got people whining and complaining because you had an usher two times a month. Is it my turn again? We got people complaining and whining because they have to come to choir rehearsal. These people are crucified upside down, got their head chopped off, boiling hot oil. And you complain about coming to choir rehearsal? You complain about the service being two hours because you got a rump roast at home you got to get back to in the crock pot? You scared you're going to miss the football game? Come on, somebody. You telling me you that pitiful, you that shadow, your commitment to Christ is such that you can't make it to church on Sunday morning knowing that you're healthy enough to come, but you'd rather stay at home? See, we have made people comfortable being sorry, lazy, and uncommitted and carnal. Let, let me tell you, I probably won't have no members next week, but... <laughs> Somebody said, can you fill up a church pastor? I don't know, but I can show empty one out. But anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay, come on back. Okay. Let me tell you what happened. Dr. Jewell, who's a chaplain of Pima County Jail, uh, she came when, when right before the pandemic, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Loved the church, stayed in tune, uh, in touch with us. We sent messages to the inmates at Pima County Jail and all that. But she came last week, or was it Easter Sunday? I believe last week. Anyway, last week when Pastor uh, Cotton was preaching, and she said, Pastor Lewis, I didn't realize just how much I missed being at church in a monster saints. She said, I've been watching online and stuff. She said, well, there ain't nothing like being in the house of God with the people of God, singing Zion's song with the people of God because you got some fire and I got some fire. And baby, when we bring it all together, we're going to burn, baby, burn. When all of God's children get together, what a time, what a time, what a time. We're going to sing, we're going to shout, we're going to preach, we're going to have a good time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, anybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Because ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Because a Holy Ghost party doesn't stop. I told y'all it's a big difference between taking a wipe off and a bath. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, when you watch it on TV and stuff, you just taking a wipe off. You got a pan and a dish cloth and some water, some soap. You just getting a wipe, a wipe off. Come on, anybody, anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? You ain't dirty for a whole bath or a shower, but you just need a quick wipe off. But every now and then, you need to take everything off. You need to get in the shower. Sometimes you get dirty. You need to get in the tub and soak a while. I don't know about y'all, but I, I very seldom use a jacuzzi out of the house because I don't like all the work cleaning up once I take the bath. But when I work in the yard and stuff, some real work, see, like, wow, you sweating. Wow. <laughs> like, like, she don't see that too often. <laughs> she said, wow, what a man. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, but I'm just saying, no. see, y'all messing me up. Now, where was I in my sermon? No. <laughs> Okay, let's go home. Next slide. Next slide. <laughs> Next slide. Okay, so, all right, we're going to go home with this. So, what kind of Christian are you? Hold out? Refuse to get involved? Cop out? Start but stop due to excuses? I would, but move your butt out the way. <laughs> Drop out. Start but can't take the heat. They don't like me. They didn't call my name. They didn't let me sing my song. And right on down the line. And then the last one, start and finish strong. I want to be in that category. I want to be an all out. God can count on me to finish strong. All right, let's go home. Stand, stand over here. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray this message has encouraged your heart and renewed your spirit. If this message has been a blessing to you, please share it with everyone you know. If you would like to help support the ministry, spread the gospel, and assist in funding community service projects at Rising Star, visit our website at www.risingstarbaptist.com.